Well, listen, we are, we are indebted to Bent Tree Bible Fellowship for hosting this conference, and uh, it is a wonderful venue, and I think you agree, don't you? Great, great venue. We're also very, very grateful for the support of Pastor Pete Briscoe, and he is here with us. Uh, we're honored to have him among us this morning. He is president of a ministry called Telling the Truth, which produces a daily radio broadcast which goes out to at least a gazillion stations, maybe more. He authors a daily e-devotional called Experiencing Life Today, and of course he is lead pastor of our host church, Mentory Bible Fellowship. We are privileged to have in our midst the lead pastor of Mentory Bible Fellowship, Pete Briscoe. Thank you, brother. Good morning. Welcome. It's so awesome to have you here. And I'm going to pray before I start. Can we uh, bow together, please? Lord, um, you are good all the time. You're good to us. You're good to everyone. Your grace is boundless. Your love is unfathomable. And you've touched us with it. You've given us a taste of who you are by giving all of yourself to us. And Lord, as we spend time together celebrating these amazing truths, my heart's desire is that all of us would grow, all of us would um, have our hearts open to new things, have our uh, memories refreshed on things we've forgotten, have the Word of God taken by your Spirit through all our defenses around our walls and straight to the very Spirit of who we are, and you would speak to us there. That you would transform us by your Spirit, that you would um, have your way with us. And so as we open your Word now and as we spend time together, I just pray for your blessing on this time. I give it to you, I entrust it to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you have your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2.20 is my life verse. I can prove that to you. I'll prove it to you this way. I've written five books, and if you put all of those books together, I've sold a total of 11 copies. I'm not bragging, it's just true. I've, I've sold 11 copies of five books. And if you were fortunate enough to buy one of those 11 copies, I think my mom bought four or five of them, so there's, there's only four or five others left. But if you had bought one of those and asked me to sign it, I would have signed my name, Pete Briscoe, and then underneath it I would have written Galatians 2.20. This is my life first. See, I proved it. It's been my life first my whole life. It really has, since I was a little boy growing up in England, uh, I grew up at Cape and Ray Hall. Some of you might have heard of Cape and Ray Hall. That's where Major Ian Thomas started his Bible school. My dad and my mom served with the major. Um, and, and they taught Galatians 2.20 every Sunday in our little Sunday school classes at Cape and Ray Bible School. It's always been my life verse. And I started living it about five years ago. It's always been my life verse. I started living it about five years ago. I appreciated what Bob had to share in the last session um, and and what, what I'd like to do is I'd like to offer just a little color commentary to Bob's play-by-play. All right, Bob just walked you through. Bob just walked you through some great biblical content. I want to give you a little color commentary on what Bob just said, teaching you similar things 
And uh, hopefully the combination of the two will be something the Spirit can use to really encourage you today. So I want to share with you a little bit of my story of, of going from Galatians 2.20, being my life verse, to actually living it. Okay? A few years back, uh, I was depressed. It wasn't that I was feeling sad. It's that I wasn't feeling anything. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. I was numb. I was done feeling sad. I was done feeling angry. I was done feeling happy. I just wasn't feeling. Now, you got to understand the context in which I found myself. I, I was um, leading a thriving church. I had three healthy kids. I had a solid marriage. I was secure. My career was going great. And I was completely numb. A phrase my wife uses that I've used many times, I had gotten to the end of where my flesh could take me. And I was numb there. And uh, I was becoming aware of my flaws and my failures and my shortcomings. And I was spending some time grieving through those things. I was wishing I was different in so many ways, you know. And uh, One day I was reading in 2 Corinthians 11, where Paul, who was concerned for the people of Corinth, said these words, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. What a verse. I was reading that and I found myself just praying to the Lord saying, has that happened to me? Have I been led astray from my sincere and pure devotion to Christ? I was really worried that I'd been led astray from my Sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And here's what the Spirit whispered to my spirit. He whispered, Pete, you've never actually been there yet. (laughs) Not that you've been led astray from it. You haven't lived one day of pure and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. Which made me more depressed. (laughs) As you can imagine. At this point in my life, I would think it would be fair to say that my relationship with Jesus was a theological one. I love theology. I love God's word. I love teaching God's word. It was a theological one. It wasn't necessarily an intimate one or a personal one. I was reading uh, Brennan Manning's Ragamuffin Gospel about this time. And there was this one little paragraph that just jumped off the page at me. It goes like this. When the religious views of others interpose between us and the primary experience of Jesus as the Christ, when you get into theological conversations and you dive into them to such a degree that they come between you and the primary experience of Jesus as the Christ, listen to what he says next, we become unconvinced and unpersuasive travel agents handing out brochures to places we have never visited. Hmm. Unconvinced and unpersuasive travel agents handing out brochures to places we have never visited. Do you ever feel that way? you ever feel that way about your walk with Jesus? I, at this point in my life, I knew that was me. I was handing out brochures to this Jesus thing. I was handing out brochures to places I'd never personally really visited. you ever feel like you're better at telling other people how to live the Christian life than you actually are at living it yourself? I was living there. You ever feel dishonest with God? It's really silly if you think about it, isn't it? Being dishonest with God. He knows everything. What are we hoping to get away with, you know? Maybe being dishonest with yourself about where you are with him. 
this is where I was in this uh, sad, depressed, numb place. It was at that time that I went on a trip with my daughter. And uh, I went out to a place called J.H. Ranch in Northern California. It's a really cool place where you go with one of your teenage kids and they force you to spend an entire week together. I mean, you get to spend an entire week together. <laughs> and you do all these cool activities and then you go to the big top at night and they have great music. This guy named Ronnie leads the music and a guy named Bruce does this teaching and, and it's really, really good. And they've got these hay bales up in front. Like if we were reenacting it, there'd be hay bales all the way along the front. And after each session, they encourage you to come down and kneel by the hay bales and just pray and, and interact with the Lord about what you've just learned and what you've listening to him about. And, and then they would have some of their young staffers come when they see you come down to pray. And they would just come and kneel next to you and they'd kind of put their hand on their back and say, how can I join with you in prayer? And then they would join and pray with you. It was kind of a cool, cool deal. And I was there with our daughter, Annika. She was a young teenager at the time. And, uh, and it was in this midst of this numb place. So I'm numb. I've got teenagers. Hard time. And the very first night, Bruce stood up and he said, all right, here's what I want you all to do. I want you to take out your notebooks. And everyone took out their notebooks. Take out a pen. Everyone took out their pen. He said, I want you to write an honest prayer. He said, some of you don't even know what an honest prayer is. Let me tell you what an honest prayer is. It's where you tell God what you're really feeling. Where you tell him what you're really afraid of. You just tell him what's really going on. Go ahead, start writing the prayer. And I remember sitting, I was sitting in the back, like you guys sitting in the back. I know what you're thinking as I'm talking about this. I, I was sitting in the back and I was thinking, I'm not doing that. Other people can do that. I'm not doing that. Forget it. Are these little exercises, they drive me crazy. Just talk to me is what I was thinking, right? So I decided I wasn't going to do it. But I looked around and everyone else was doing it. I started to feel the peer pressure. So I pulled out my little notebook and I started to write. <clears throat> I'm glad I wrote it because now I still have it. Let me share with you what I wrote that day. These are the actual words from my notebook. Lord, I know you're working on me big time. All summer long in my loneliness, my marriage, parenting, lack of discipline, depression, numbness, tiredness. I'm broken and I have questions. Here are my questions. How do I appropriate you in my life for real? Have you ever asked him that? When you hear all these messages about, well, appropriate Jesus, and you're sitting there like, okay, but how do you appropriate Jesus? Right? So I was asking that. Why do I feel so bad? How can I lead my wife and children when I'm so scared and I don't even know what I'm scared of? How can I love Libby, my wife, in a way that she feels loved? Libby had mentioned to me right before I left on this trip that um, all my efforts to communicate love to her were completely missing the mark. This is after 15, 18 years of marriage. Didn't know how to love my wife. How do I raise a 13-year-old daughter? I feel like an abject failure, but my ruts are so deep I can't seem to break out. No one ever taught me how to be a man, how to be a husband, how to be a dad. I'm flailing and I'm failing and I desperately need you, Jesus. How do I lean into you? Probably the most honest prayer I've ever prayed. I just needed someone to encourage me. Pray an honest prayer. It's like it was okay to tell him what I was really thinking and feeling. God heard that prayer that first night. He always hears our prayers. And then he answered it the rest of the week.
And as he answered it, he taught me an incredibly simple biblical truth. This is what I want you to go away with today. So if you're going to write anything down, write this down. Are you ready? You guys are all so compliant. Except you guys in the back. You're sitting I'm not writing this down. Forget that noise. Okay, if you're writing it down, write this down. You ready? It's easier to trust someone when you know they love you. It's easier to trust someone when you know, I mean, know that they love you. You heard about the guy that fell over the cliff, right? It's not a true story, don't worry. He fell over the cliff, and as he was flying, falling down the cliff, there was a tree hanging out from the cliff, and he grabbed a hold of the tree, so it was just hanging there like this off the cliff. And he yells up, is anybody up there? Is there anybody up there? And all of a sudden he hears this loud voice say, yes, I'm here. Oh, awesome. Who is it? It's me, God. Oh, God, I'm so glad you're up there. Can you help me? Can you get me from this place? Sure. Just let go of the tree and I'll catch you. Is there anybody else up there? It's easy to say we're trusting in God until he asks us to let go of the tree. Am I right? But you know what? If you are absolutely, categorically, completely convinced that he loves you, you'll let go of the tree. You will. It's easier to trust someone when you know they love you. I ask you to turn to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. If you underline in your Bible, underline these words. Who loved me and gave himself for me. How much did he love me? Gave himself for me. That's a lot of love right there. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The reason I love Galatians 2.20 is because it's a summary of the Christian life. All right? It, there's three phases to the Christian life, all described in this one verse. I'll just briefly define it for you. At the very beginning, um, he's saying, I died. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. That's a longer way of saying I died. I, I'm no longer who I once was. You can read about this in Romans 6, Romans 7. I died. The moment I said yes to Jesus, the old person done away with, I become a new creation. It's all right there in that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Second aspect of the Christian life, I'm indwelt. But Christ lives in me. So this new person that I've become is now indwelt by this spirit of Christ himself. And he now lives inside me. And here's the third part of the Christian life. I'm depending. And the life I live in the body, and the life I'm now living here on earth, I live by faith and dependence in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I died is the theological identity we have. I'm indwelt is the personal empowerment we have. I'm depending is the practical application. It's the summary of this Christian life that we live. Now, let me just point a couple things out of this verse. The sequence really matters. The order in which these things come out really, really matter. I died first. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. 
who I once was, is done away with, clearing the path for this new creation. I'm dead to the power of sin. I'm dead to the law so that I can belong to someone else, right? That happens first. I die and I'm reborn, and now Christ lives in me. I'm indwelt. That comes next. And Christ, by his Spirit, enters my life and takes up residence. And he transforms and he leads and he guides and he prompts and he empowers and he loves and he enables me from the inside out. This is the Christ life that we're talking about. This is the reason you guys are all here. You guys get this. You know this. In theory. And then we're depending. It's the third thing that happens. In the life I now live. Now that these two other things have happened. I've died I've been raised to new life and I've been indwelt by the Spirit. Now that these two things have happened, we can talk about the third. We can talk about living the Christian life. I live by faith. It's a summary of how we live the Christian life. I live in dependence. In whom? In the Son of God. Who's He? He's the guy that loved you enough to die for you. What an incredible verse. It's easier to trust someone when you know They love you. That word faith, I live by faith, is the word piste. It means to believe to the extent of complete trust and reliance. I live the Christian life by trusting, depending on the one who indwells me, who happens to be the one who loves me perfectly. How do I know that? Because he gave himself freely for me. It's the Christian life. When I went out to J.H. Ranch with Annika, I had an amazing experience. I would prayed that prayer. I said, all right, Lord, reveal yourself to me. And uh, we got to do this half day together where we went up to a little place called Huey Lake. If you've ever been out in the northern mountains of northern California, it is spectacular up there. And we hiked up to this place, and we were all alone. There was no one else there. And we walked all the way to the top of this mountain, and we sat down on the very peak of this mountain. And we looked down below us, about 500 uh, feet or so was a little alpine lake right there, just pristine, totally still. In the distance, Mount Shasta. Have you ever seen Mount Shasta? Have you seen Shasta soda cans? That's Mount Shasta on there. It's like the perfect mountain. It's what mountains should look like. And right there, we're just looking at Mount Shasta reflected in the lake. I'm looking at Annika like this is perfection. It was. It was a perfect day. And we read some letters that people had written to her and people had written to me and we had a letter for each other and we read those back and forth and it was just this touching, sweet moment. And Libby and I had had purchased for Annika a purity ring. You guys know about these purity rings, right? She was 13. She was heading into her teenage years. And so um, I showed her this ring and I said, honey, is it your intention to keep yourself pure until marriage? And she said, yes, daddy, it is. I said, well, then mommy and I bought you this ring and And the intention is that you would wear it as a reminder of that commitment that you've made to Jesus. And and, uh, and then on the morning of your wedding day, you would take it off. You would give it to your husband as a symbol of the purity that you preserved for him. And she's just looking up at me with these big hazel eyes. And she's like, okay, Daddy. And so I said, go ahead, give me your your ring finger. And she's standing right in front of me. She hands me her finger. And I, I start to put this ring on her finger. And... All of a sudden, she wasn't 13 years old anymore. She was standing there in my mind's eye in her wedding dress on her wedding day, and I lost it. I didn't just start. It wasn't a little tear roll. It was 
lost it, sobbing. I just started heaving and sobbing. Then it got worse. Because then she looked at me and she said, oh, daddy. And she put her arms around me and she held me like that. And then I'm just heaving, right? And I held that little girl. And I was overwhelmed at the immensity and the passion of love that was pouring out of me for this child. I was overwhelmed by how deeply I loved her. It was a divine moment. It really was. As we're marching back down, um, she knew I was weak. And so she said, hey, Daddy, I've got an idea. I said, what's that, honey? She said, how about like a week before my wedding day, you and me, we come back here and we come back up on this mountain and we have a chat. I'm like, okay, sure, honey, whatever you want, you know. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to going back there one day. But that night, okay, so here's, here's how God used this. That night we're sitting in the big top and um, Ronnie's singing all these songs. And it was just one song after another about how important it is to, to own and to grasp and to receive God's love if you really want to be able to trust him. There was one song after, about God's love and another song about God's love and another song about God's love. And, and I was sitting there in the back saying, dude, Ronnie, we get the message. <laughs> Got to receive God's love in order to trust him. We understand. All right, just sing about something different. I don't know if you guys ever think this way when you're sitting in a worship service or not. But. And then Ronnie said, okay, I've got this little two-year-old daughter, and uh, she loves to kiss me, but she hasn't learned how yet. So when I see her coming, running towards me with her arms out like this, <laughs> I know that I'm going to get one of her sloppy, wet kisses, and she just kind of... I need to have her mother teach her how to do that correctly. And, but I wouldn't trade it for the world, he said. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Nothing like one of my daughter's little sloppy wet kisses. He said, it always reminds me of this song. And then he starts to play. And It was the first time I'd ever heard this song. And as he's singing it over us, here are the words. So we are his portion and he is our prize drawn to redemption by the grace in his eyes. If grace is an ocean, we're all what? Sinking. So heaven meets earth like a sloppy, wet kiss, and my heart turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets. Remember where I was? I don't have time to have a life of regret. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about how much he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves me. And we're singing this song. And all of a sudden in my mind's eye, I'm transported to the top of that mountain where we were that morning. And it's the same scene, except now it's not me and Annika. It's me and Jesus in my mind's eye. And Jesus holds me. And he whispers into my ear, Pete, sometimes I find myself overwhelmed with my depth of love for you, too. And in that moment, singing that song, I felt his love for me for the very first time. I grew up in a Christian home, folks. 
My parents are in the ministry. My parent leads a mega church. My parents lead a mega church. I grew up in the church. I went to seminary. I lead a church. I preach. I'm on the radio. And for the first time in my life, I'm feeling his love. Receiving it. I've never really seen myself as a child of God. I don't know, that sounds crazy to some of you. But I'd always seen myself as a servant for God, or as a pastor, or a briscoe, or a leader, an elder, a preacher. These were the identities that I so deeply valued that were so precious to me. And that night, God had an opportunity to drive home to me that he sees me as a child first. He sees me as his child first. We have three kids. Our oldest is Cameron. He's a college football player, big, huge kid. He wasn't always big and huge. He was smaller. Well, no, he was born big and huge now that I think about it. Nine pounds, 11 ounces. He was a monster, but... I remember when he was about a year old, I was walking around the neighborhood. It was an August, hot August day, sweaty. I didn't have a shirt on. He was just in his diaper, and he was on my shoulders, and we were walking around. You okay? You know what's coming, don't you? All of a sudden, I hear him go, And, uh, and he fills his diaper to overflowing. It was exceedingly abundantly more than the diaper was designed to maintain. And, and it started to kind of go down my shoulders. And I took him off and I held him out here. And I looked in his big blue eyes and I said, that does it. You're not my son anymore. I said, You're not my son anymore. I mean, what? Could a child possibly do to his father worse than that? I, looking back, I think it was just preparation for the teenagers, metaphorically speaking, you know. That's kind of what they do for five years through. You're not my son anymore. Did I say that to him? No. Because even when he does that, still my boy. He will always be my boy. Because he's my son. And it was on that night that I realized that God sees me as his son first. That his love for me is not tied to any performance on my part. Good performance, bad performance. It's irrelevant. Because it's based out of his character, not out of my work. And friends, everything changed for me. That was the night Galatians 2.20 stopped being my life verse and started to be the verse I lived. You know, there's two versions to that song that I quoted a few minutes ago. There's a second version that came out because churches were starting to sing the song and they were uncomfortable with the sloppy wet kiss part. And so they put in a, like a generic line in there. I don't know which one you sing at your church if you even sing that song. And, um, and so uh, 
as I was going to come back to church and share this story here at Bent Tree, I was going to have my, my worship team sing that song. And I woke up that morning. I'm like, oh, should I do the sloppy wet kiss version or should I do the other version? I don't want to offend anybody. <gasps> my quiet time that morning was in Luke 15, verse 20. Uh, it's the story of the prodigal son. And you know the story. And the, the father is waiting for the son to come back. He's out there looking and he's looking down the road. He's waiting for him. And the father represents who? God, right? God is seeking and longing for us. And when he finally sees his son in the distance, he says he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. <laughs> and I looked up what that word means in the Greek. It means kissed. <laughs> That's what it means. It means kissed ardently, fervently, passionately, over and over again. It means, friends, a sloppy, wet kiss planted on his cheek by the character that plays the father. Why are we so afraid to be loved by him this way? Why can't we just let him love us like this? Especially when we realize that it's easier to trust someone when you know they love you, that if we just let him love us like this, that paves the way for us to live the Christian life the way Galatians 2.20 describes. So, I'll tie this up. God answered my prayer in a really powerful way that week as he started to whisper into my heart after he revealed his love to me in such a powerful way, okay, now just trust me, just trust me. And, and they have you do all these crazy, scary things at this camp together. And the idea is that the kids can do it and the dads can't. And so the kids kind of lead the dads and it's good for your relationship in some sick kind of way. And, <laughs> and so uh, the next day we went to the high ropes course. I don't know if you've ever done these things. I usually get done with high ropes courses, and as soon as I'm done, I'm thinking, that would have been so much cooler if it was higher and scarier and harder. Not out at Jay's Ranch. I would get off these things and say, I'm so glad to be back down on the ground. They were extreme in the extreme sense. Not sure what other sense there is. We got up on the high ropes course, and I was scared. I was really scared. There were places where I had to kind of grab a bar and pull myself up and go upside down 20, 30 feet off the ground, and I was afraid I was going to go head down. And the guy down at the bottom said, Pete, just trust the harness. They had this harness on me. Just trust the harness. It won't let you go. Just trust the harness. I'm like, all right, I'm trusting the harness. The next thing we did was we went over to the Alpine Tower. The Alpine Tower is over 50 feet tall, and there's like 100 different ways to get up there. And, And when I was getting ready to go, I got the harness on. And they don't use carabiners at the Alpine Tower. You know what a carabiner is? Those are the things that keep you safe. They're metal things, and they lock, and they put two of them on there. And, and as I'm getting ready to go on the Alpine Tower, the kid's just tying the rope onto my harness. And I'm like, where's my carabiner? He goes, Mr. Briscoe, we don't use carabiners on the Alpine Tower. He said, well, you're going to start doing it today. Now, I'm not going up that thing without my carabiner. He said, sir, we're not going to use a carabiner. You need to trust my knot. I said, son, how old are you? <laughs> he said, I've done a lot of these knots, Mr. Briscoe. No, not one of them have ever come loose. I'm like, I want a carabiner. He said, you're not getting one. Trust the knot. Then he said this. This helped me. He said, 
Uh, Mr. Briscoe, what do you think we tie the carabiners to the harness with? I said, knots? He goes, exactly. Okay. So at the end of getting up to the top of the Alpine Tower, here's what you have to do. You have to step off it. And the rope is over this thing above you. You just have to, 50 feet straight down. Now this is the moment when you decide whether you're going to trust the knot or not. And I stepped off and that knot held and he lowered me down. And then we went to what's called the Screaming Eagle, aptly named. They harness you into this harness. There's two of you in it. So Annika's here next to me, and she's got the little pull cord. And it's tied onto this thing that goes all the way up the mountain, and they pull you up to 75 feet straight up off the ground. You're looking straight down at the ground. And then when you pull the little string, you go straight down towards the ground, it eventually catches you, and you swing out over this cliff, out over the mountains. It, it's scary. <laughs> and Annika couldn't open her eyes. We got all the way to the top. She couldn't open her eyes, and she's just... <laughs> and, and I'm videotaping it. I got my little camera, and I'm like, this is fun. I'm going to videotape her freaking out. And, she's <laughs> and I said, honey, you've got to open your eyes. I don't want to. You've got to open your eyes. Okay. She opened her eyes, and on the video, you can hear her go, <gasps> all the air is just sucked out of her. She's looking straight down. I said, I'm just going to count to three. On three, you've got to pull that thing, and we're going to be up here all day. You ready? She's like, okay. One, two, three. Boom. <laughs> screaming eagle, aptly named. <laughs> and then she was screaming, too. <laughs> so we're heading down towards the ground. And as we get, you get about five feet off the ground before you start to go up, and you're just skimming right over the ground, and then all of a sudden you're looking out over the cliff, and it's spectacular. And as we go back down, all you can hear is Annika saying over and over again, I'm so glad I did it. I'm so glad I did it. Because there were some kids who didn't do it. I'm so glad I did it. And as we're swinging back and forth, the Spirit once again whispers to me, Pete, you've experienced three amazing things today. All three of them required you to take a scary step of faith. They did. But after the step of faith came the adventure. Am I right? It's a lot easier to trust someone when you know they love you. And when you do trust the one who loves you, he has an adventure waiting for you there. It's unlike anything else. There's nothing like living the Christian life the way the Christian life is designed to be lived. Nothing. It's easier to trust someone when you know they love you. Okay, so let me talk to you about you for a second. Um, one of the things I've learned over the years is that a lot of people start out walking with Jesus and end up working for Jesus. Not that those two things are mutually exclusive. They're obviously not. But it's the way many of us do it. We start out walking with Jesus and we end up working for Jesus. And if we're just working for Jesus without walking for Jesus, you'll get to the end of where your flesh can take you really quick. And I'm just wondering if there's a handful of you sitting here today that have struggled with some of this. And if you are struggling with Galatians 2.20 being a theological truth that you adhere to as opposed to a living principle of life, um, here's my encouragement to you. At some point today, sit down and write out your honest prayer. Tell him what you're really feeling. Tell him what you're really afraid of. Tell him what's not working. He already knows all this stuff anyway. Just share it with him. 
Write out your honest prayer and ask him for what you deeply desire. Here's another thing I'd encourage you to do. Ask him to reveal his love to you for real. So there's no longer a theological concept. It is a personal experience. And then simply ask him, where do you want me to trust you today? Where do you want me to trust you today? Knowing that you love me, where do you want me to trust you today? Near the end of the week, um, Ronnie was singing at J.H. Ranch a song he called Fight. And as he sang, uh, once again, the Lord kind of whispered to me, said, hey, Pete, uh, earlier in the week you asked me how to lead your family. Well, one way that you lead your family is you fight for your family. You fight. You fight for your marriage. You guys know you have to fight for marriage, right? You fight for your marriage. You fight for your children. You fight for your kids. And he sings a song about fighting, and I'm thinking, yeah, I need to fight. And I'm looking at the back of Annika's head. She's sitting with all her girlfriends up at the front. I'm still in the back. And then uh, Bruce did a talk about how to find kind of the person you want to marry for the kids. And he had all the kids up front, and we were all in the back saying, preach your brother, preach your brother. And I was back there just saying, oh, I so desperately want Annika to marry a boy like the one he's describing. I want that for her. And the Spirit whispers to me, well, then go fight for her. Okay, I will. I'll fight for her. No, like right now. What do you mean like right now? Do you ever have these conversations with the Spirit or is it just, just me? Okay. What do you mean like right now? I'd like you to go down after this session to the hay bales and fight for Annika's marriage on your knees. I said, I don't want to do that. I'm not done, he said. Oh, okay. Go ahead. And I want you to take Annika up there with you. Just go grab her, take her up there, and pray over her for her marriage. I said, I really don't want to do that. I know she won't want to go. I'll feel like a fool. I don't want to do it. I'll pray when I get back to my room tonight. Are you going to fight for her or not? Yes, later. Remember, it's easier to trust me. When you know you love me, when you know I love you, you believe that I love you, Pete. I know you love me. Then trust me. Trust me. I'm asking you to do this. Trust me. All right. So the hay bale time came. Everyone was just sitting there. No one was moving. So I got up. I walked down to the second row where Annika was. I kind of tiptoed through all her girlfriends that were there. I leaned down and I said, hey, honey, I want to pray for you and your future spouse. Will you come up to the hay bales with me? (laughs) No way. (laughs) Dad. Okay, thanks, honey. That's great. (laughs) I go up and I kneel down at hay bales and I just faked like I was praying because I didn't feel like praying. I was just like, all right, what do I do now? I'm just going to look like I'm praying because everyone's looking at the back of my neck right now. And all of a sudden I see out of the corner of my eye, one of the young counselors walking over to pray with me. And I'm like, oh, last thing I need right now is some 22-year-old kid coming over here. He can't relate to what's going on. Lord, please just, he kept coming. 
He kneels down and he said, how can I agree in prayer with you? And I said, all right, you know what? I'm going to be really honest with you. I'm not praying. I'm faking it. <laughs> I, uh, I thought God was telling me to come up and do this. He wanted me to bring Annika, but she didn't want to come. And uh, I was going to pray for her future marriage. He says, tell you what, let me pray for Annika. Say, okay. This 22-year-old kid puts his arm around me, and he prays the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard for my daughter. He prays for her character, for her purity. He prays for the young man that God is preserving for her. He prayed for his character and his integrity and his purity. and his. It was beautiful. And as he's praying, as he's praying, the Spirit says, Pete, listen, this is why I wanted you to come up here. I wanted you to learn how to pray for your daughter. This is why you couldn't do it later. Listen. So I just listened. He got done. He left. I just said, Jesus, thank you. And as I'm saying thank you, I feel this little tickle on my back. And I look, and there's Annika. She's coming. She's knelt down next to me. She's like, now what do we do? And I said, I'm going to pray for your marriage. And then I almost word for word plagiarized that kid's prayer. I nailed it. I mean, I just nailed it. And the adventure happened. Friends, it's easier to trust someone when you know they love you. And when you know they love you and you step out in trust, the adventure begins. Can I pray for you, please? Lord, um, I want to pray for my friends that I haven't even met here that are where I was a few years back. They thoroughly believe Galatians 2.20 is true. Absolutely, categorically, theologically true. But they're not really experiencing it. And the reason they're not really experiencing it is because they haven't allowed themselves to see them as your child first. So I pray specifically for them that you would reveal your love to them, that they'd be open to you doing that, they would recognize that your love has nothing to do with their performance, either positive or negative. It's simply based in your character. It's who you are. You can't help yourself. There's nothing they can do to make you love them more. There's nothing they can do to make you love them less. It's called grace. Lord Jesus, let them receive your love. Let that be the foundation from which they build their life. Depending on you, the one that indwells them, because they were crucified with you and raised to new life. Do this in each of us. I pray, Lord Jesus, and I pray it in your powerful and precious name. Amen.